Hello and welcome everybody to this week's Dev Central Connects. My name is Boo, one of your community evangelists on the Dev Central team, and I am your host today. Uh, we're going to be talking to Michael Matson in just a moment here. He is from HP. He's one of the technical marketing engineers focusing on storage, uh, specifically for Kubernetes, actually. And he's got a really cool uh, background with Kubernetes as far as uh, storage integrations, a CSI driver. Uh, so that's pretty cool. He's got a lot of experience and he's going to take us through some of that. But uh, before we go through any of that, I just wanted to mention that Dev Central is supported by community.f5.com. If you haven't checked out our forums yet, you'll want to head over to that website sign up totally free you can ask questions about anything on there um we can answer your f5 questions on there but you can ask uh, questions just general uh technology questions on there as well great way to interact with technical peers on there and you can uh interact with us the dev central uh connects hosts or your uh, community evangelists um this show specifically has a thread on there so if you head over to the groups on community.f5.com you will see a group called dev central connects and inside of there you just have to click join once you're logged in and once you've joined the group you'll actually see all the show threads so all the information that we talk about within the shows um, we'll actually uh, post all of that info on a thread. Um, one other thing that I will highlight on community.f5.com is the events as well. And one that I will highlight is one called the 2023 Public Sector Symposium. This is a hybrid event, so it's live and virtual as well. And this is happening in McLean, Virginia at the Ritz-Carlton and Tyson's Corner, uh, March 21st, 22nd, 23rd. We got keynotes from our CEO, Francois Lecaux-Deneau, Kara Sprague, who is our uh, chief product officer as well, and a number of other folks um, will be there giving out uh, training events. You can actually claim CPEs if you're an ISC Square type of person. Uh, you have a CISSP and you need to collect your CPEs. Head on over to that event uh, to collect some or join the virtual event uh, as well. Uh, we'd love to uh, We'd love to host you on there. One other event that's happening, and I'm going to bring on Jason to talk about it, is Nginx's Microservices March. And we had a great time with this last year. We went through the labs and whatnot, and so we are participating again this year. And so I'll bring on Jason here. Jason, how are you doing? I'm doing quite well. It's a Tuesday following our F5 Wellness Weekend. F5 has been taking very good care of us these last couple of years since COVID kicked off, and we, we get a nice long friday through monday off so it's like you know an expanded weekend we don't have to take vacation for it and so it's monday for us even though it's tuesday but it, it's a fantastic wellness weekend and yeah microservices yeah. month is kicking off uh, yeah. tomorrow uh, so you'll have access to the webinar um, there's four units during during this month and they'll have the webinars and follow-up uh, conversations and then and then we'll have labs and so i'm going to do the lab and i'm just going to do that live every thursday I think 11 a.m. Pacific is the time I'll get the show uh, published today. Uh, so, yeah, join me as I walk through that lab. It'll be a lot of fun. Yeah, fantastic. So if folks head over to nginx.com slash mm, they've got a little shortener on there. You can sign up uh, for the labs on there. And then you can you can basically join you, Jason, like live, like side by side, basically uh, punch it through the lab uh, together. That's right. We can do it together and and uh, you can join this dum-dum as, as we work through all the uh, all the microservices architectures and and uh, do it from uh, from scratch and it'll be a lot of good time. It'll be a good time. Yeah. Yeah. Those are super, uh, super fun. I, I learned a lot doing it last year, just the way that they structure the labs. Um, and even though I've gone through some of that stuff, 
through some training that we've had before. Um, different perspectives is written by different folks. The training platform is really cool, interactive. You don't have to worry about running it uh, yourself. Although one of our MVPs, Daniel Wolf last year, took it and uh, took it upon himself to actually turn it into a lab that you can run locally yeah. uh, on your own machine as well. So that was pretty cool to see. Our uh, MVPs are always up to uh, pretty fun uh, little projects. Yep. So otherwise, I just wanted to talk about some other news, Jason. Uh, big news last week, you passed your certified Kubernetes administrator exam, which is no joke of an exam, right? I did. Yeah. It's a two hour practical. So in the fall I did, uh, the security plus and, and, and passed that one. And, but that's all like knowledge. You're, you're learning things you're, and then you're answering multiple choice or multiple answer questions. This is practical. You have access to the documentation in the test. It's, can you, can you build stuff in the two hour or build and troubleshoot and fix things in the two hours that you have? So, you know, time is really the, the critical thing in, in a practical exam. So you, you really have to spend the, you got to do the work ahead of time uh, to, mm. to really learn. Um, I've, I've followed, uh, first of all, thank you to Michael O'Leary and Tony Marfil and our study group that, that we uh, went through uh, this, you know, uh, January and February. We met twice a week and, and just, you know, encouraged each other, challenged each other, did some mock exams together. Um, but really Michael O'Leary just has a heart for, for people to, to be able to, you know, set aside the time to, to do these things. And, and, uh, I was in a study group with Tony last year and just with, uh, trying to get out of my old house, I just, I didn't have the extra time to, to study. So I had to bail last year, but then this year, Michael in December is like, Hey, putting a study group together. I know you didn't get a chance to finish last year. What do you think? And, and yeah, so committed to it, did the work and, uh, and I, I wasn't sure I was going to pass. So I, I, I didn't go into the test with a lot of confidence, but Certainly, uh, the the Udemy course uh, that that we signed up and did uh, was tremendous, and did that with the Code Cloud accessed mm. labs that you get through the Udemy course. All of that gives you all the practical that that you need to pass the exam, or at least it gave me all the things I needed to do to pass the exam. And it, it Kubernetes is no joke. It, there's a lot of there's a mm. lot of pieces. There there is a lot of pieces to the Kubernetes. Uh, ecosystem and the CKA just barely touches the surface. So I'm curious, uh, you know, when we, when we get to talk to uh, our guests here in a few minutes, uh, you know, the difference between what you learn in a course that has to test core knowledge because they don't test third-party integrations, which is kind of a big deal in the Kubernetes ecosystem. Uh, so, you know, how the, the book knowledge of passing a core exam translates into the real world. So I'm, I'm curious mm -hmm. to, Let's talk about that uh, regarding storage. Yeah, well, kudos to you, Jason. Um, for folks who have not, uh, who aren't familiar with the CKA, um, most people don't pass. I, I shouldn't say most. I don't know what the exact number is, but most people don't pass on the first try. And you did, Jason. So that's enormous um, as a feat. And I know you're always busy with so many things, family and all the stuff we have going on at work. So that is a huge accomplishment. Thank you. Appreciate um, that. And a couple of folks who want to chime in as well. First of all, Jose, hi, hi to you. Hi, Jose. And Jose gives his kudos here. And also Mr. Tony Hines also. Hey, oh, the no, boss I man. As well. Our fearless <laughs> leader. I, I, I should, he hates, he hates it when I call him that. And so I, I should run my, my little script that, that gives me alternatives. Uh, <laughs> and I'll, I'll come back later in the show and, and call him something else. But thank you, Tony. Yeah. I appreciate that. 
<laughs> awesome. And a kudos from and Leslie as well. Uh, fantastic. Um, one, um, one other thing that I'll mention. So w- what I'm doing right now for folks who are listening to this is I'm pulling up the chat that's coming up off of the YouTube um, viewers right now. So you might be listening to this because you found our podcast. And if you haven't found our podcast yet, and you're watching this right now, our podcast is available on Apple, Google, and Spotify uh, podcasts. So you can head over there, subscribe, leave a five-star review. Helps us out a ton as far as the algorithmic magic that um, puts us up in the rankings. Um, And then otherwise, if you're watching this right now or you're watching this later on, you might be watching this from YouTube, Facebook, LinkedIn, or Twitter. Make sure you're uh, hitting us, uh, giving us a follow, subscribe, hit like, leave comments, interact with us live if possible uh, as well. That all being said, without further ado, I know we're we're, uh, going over a little bit here. So I want to bring on Michael uh right now michael how you doing i'm good boo thank you for having me on the show yeah great to have you on um we'll get straight to it would love to uh get from you uh, a little bit of an introduction on yourself we've introduced you as our our kubernetes storage expert for the day yeah Um, and maybe we can find out a little bit more about you though yeah, sure. Yeah, so I'm a tech marketing engineer with Hula Packet Enterprise, and a tech marketing engineer does a little bit uh, of everything. I, I feel sometimes like I'm the janitor on the team that well, I interact <laughs> with product management and and the engineers and QA in the field, and I do a lot of training. I'm, I'm I see myself as an educator today because within storage, uh, a lot of the um, it's very much about the speeds and feeds of appliance X versus appliance Y, right? And and I'm more up in the application layer of things, right? So I'm trying to uh, have our field have a better understanding of uh, what we're trying to face here, where, where we go really deep into what customers are actually doing uh, in the application layer, right? So I became a, uh, so I went from being a speeds and feeds tech marketing engineer to uh, working uh, with containers. So I was deeply immersed in Docker and Docker volume plugins and stuff when that kind of was hot back in 2015, I think. Uh, and then, then we all all of a sudden we started orchestrated con, orchestrating con, containers, and all of a sudden uh, storage became a really big problem. And you really need to have really clever integrations to have uh, your storage appliance. I worked at Nimble Storage at that time, actually, and mm. and uh, we did a, a ton of work uh, to have uh, enterprise grade storage presented to containers. Right, so that's kind of my background, and that's what I've been doing all, uh, ever since. Right, so there's been an evolution from that we're going to talk a little bit about today and to um, uh, where we are from from that time span of where we just had in three drivers versus where we are today with the container storage interface. So, Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, this is a great background to be able to talk through this then. And uh, as we go along, I'll let Jason pepper all the questions uh, since he's the CKA um, (laughs) and he's, you know, he's up here as far as level uh, level of C, uh, Kubernetes knowledge. I'm I'm just down here for folks who aren't listening or who are just listening right now. I'm showing how high Jason is on the totem pole <laughs> compared to me. Um, yeah, well, you know, so uh, maybe on that uh, that front, uh, Ken Ken Salkow, who is the um, the the guy who runs the certification program for F5, he has the the minimum you know qualified candidate or, or or whatever that is. That's me at the CKA level, right? I'm I'm, I'm no expert by any. Stretch of the imagination. I'm I'm just getting my feet wet in the Kubernetes world. So you know, let's uh, let's let's lower the bar for Jason just a little bit. <laughs> well, I do have a question you'll before have great we get questions. into Kubernetes real quick. What mm-hmm. when you talk about enterprise class storage? What what does that mean? What does that mean? Uh, besides yeah, that is, you know, just like connecting up you know a, a disk 
you know, an external disk sitting on my desk. Yeah. Where's the bar for enterprise storage? Yeah, that, that's a really good question. I mean, there there's a, a many factors that kind of defines uh, an enterprise storage array, right? So you have the you have the resilience, you have the HA component, you have all the data management capabilities, snapshot clones and replication and such, right? And data reduction technologies such as compression and deduplication and such. And very popular these days is that you have some sort of cloud integration where you can manage fleets of these across your enterprise as well. So there's a management aspect of it as well that that kind of that where I would kind of put categorize the storage appliances enterprise ready is that you have must have some sort of control and governance points to to manage the devices as well, right? But at the end of the day, it's it's just one a couple of smart controllers that basically manages a bunch of this in the most efficient and most performant way there is, I, I'd say, right? And uh, traditionally you you run uh, the stateful types of apps that we've seen in the past is so that you use it for a backing store for VMware, you use it for SQL Server, Oracle, and all these kind of big brand databases, right? And that requires uh, the the shared storage aspect of it, right? So these storage appliances, you put them on a network, you put them on a SAN with connectivity, fiber channel or fiber channel over Ethernet or uh, NVMe or Fabric, whatnot, right? And and you need to have multiple hosts connecting to these devices uh, to aggregate performance, availability, and uh, sometimes you also kind of cobble them together to stretch the capacity of multiple appliances into one big namespace, right? So there, there's mo- I talked about a lot of multiple different characteristics here, but uh, there, there's a ton of bells and whistles these uh, devices <laughs> come with. And, and, Very cool. And, yeah, and in, when it comes to Kubernetes, it's just like, to me, it's just like, how can we abstract this functionality up to the Kubernetes user, right? So that is kind of my my take on, like, why is enterprise storage even relevant? Mm-hmm. It's just because we have all these, like, very relevant features uh, that uh, should be abstracted all the way up to the end user. But I'm kind of jumping a- ahead of myself here a little bit, right? But that's kind of the tie into why would you, why would you even run Kubernetes with one of these in the first place? Yeah, we were talking before about, you know, where we could uh, take the conversation and and we were thinking of just starting with a base level of 101, you know, you've you've been there from the early days of Kubernetes. So maybe you can tell us about what things were like back then and, and maybe a bit of, you know, how things progressed. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. So the what, what happened kind of in the early days of Kubernetes, we 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 all know it's an open source project and all that, and it's one of the biggest open source projects on GitHub ever hosted, right? And in the early days, I'm talking early days like 1.1, 1.2, right? Uh, all these like cloud storage drivers and some vendors storage drivers actually made it all the way into the uh, the source core project of Kubernetes and. That became very quickly, that became completely unsustainable because all of a sudden every vendor on the planet needed to collaborate with the core Kubernetes project. Mm -hmm. And one of the first projects to kind of try to take that out of the source tree was something called the Flex Volume plugin. And the Flex Volume plugin, I kind of call it like a mid-air band-aid, right? Kind of, we, we kind of build it as we fly it kind of thing. It was a very primitive interface. It was very cumbersome to write drivers for it because the customer basically required to install a binary on every single node that required to attach storage. So that was like a security hazard and, and whatnot. Uh, and a lot of vendors jumped on that train, including HP and Nimble. Uh, we actually took our Docker volume plugin and it's just like, all right, let's strip off the Docker parts and just run the 
the, the, the ports that we need as a flex volume driver. And we kind of got access to a lot of the functionality we built in a Docker volume plugin into the flex volume driver. Uh, I don't know exactly the timing. I would say they were like 2017, 2018 or so. There was a consortium of, of different companies that uh, started to collaborate on the container storage interface. And I think Google was the, one of the main drivers there. And the container storage interface is more of a specific, it's a specification essentially, right? And they also formed a, um, a group within uh, the CNCF, the Cloud Native Computing Foundation called SIG Storage. So there's multiple companies collaborating there on the, on the specification to make sure that the, everyone's needs are met as we evolve this specification. And the, C, the container storage interface allows vendors uh, to basically build CSI drivers uh, completely independently outside of the core Kubernetes project. We don't need to contribute code uh, up to the, um, uh, the, the core project. Uh, we host our own drivers on GitHub. It's our own project. We have our own complete, uh, we have our own life cycle essentially, right? And we can uh, have our own release cadence and all that. We we do need to kind of verify and test against new versions of Kubernetes that comes out if there's any change in the specification uh, that needs to be catered to. But uh, I'd say the CSI specification is very stable at, at this point, right? So. Mm -hmm. There are rarely any changes. There's only additions. There's new functionality coming out uh, in a, a, at a steady pace, right? So you you kind of want to do some maintenance on your driver to add some new functionality and such. Right? Hmm. So so that's kind of like the evolution of the storage driver component of it, right? But if we kind of go in and talk a little bit more about the practicality of storage in Kubernetes, is that um, we all know that a container in itself is ephemeral, right? Uh, there is no there is no state stored anyway. And a, a lot of developers find a lot of comfort in that, that they know that when I start this container, I know exactly how it will run on my laptop in the Kubernetes cluster and in the public cloud and such, right? So, and that's kind of where things started, where you just, you took a piece of storage where the node were, on, on from the node where the application was running essentially, right? And there, that's where we have the uh, the the empty dir, then the host path uh, plugins and such, right? So it's very much about uh, the the node abstraction of uh, uh, that that happens in Kubernetes that kind of get gets abstracted to the to the application. But it's uh, you have many speci specifically like enterprise applications like databases and such, right? They they need they need stateful. I mean they they need persistent storage, right? And uh, they might need persistent storage that uh, moves where wherever the application is scheduled, and that means that mm -hmm. uh, when a the application starts up the first time, it starts on node A, and uh, you might need to do some maintenance on node A, and then you need to move the application to node B in your cluster, and 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 that process of dismantling the the uh, the volume of one node and attaching it to another. That is a very vendor-specific thing, how you do, right? So if you go to HB and you see how we do it, and it's just that then you go to one of our competitors and see how they do it, then it will all be different, right? And and many applications that run on Kubernetes, they have uh, needs for different access modes, as, as it's called, right? If we go into the details there, so you have like the read-write once, where you have one pod accessing one persistent volume claim at any given time. And then you have read write many where you have multiple pods across multiple nodes accessing the same uh, persistent volume claim as it's called in kubernetes i'm going to talk a little bit about that as well but uh, and and that kind of uh, sets the stage of 
what what actually you need to look for in your backend storage uh, system when you when you cannot choose in storage, right? So you, you ha always have to look at the needs of the of the application that you're running, right? And if, if it's an in-house or if it's um, something you've taken off uh, some other CNCF project uh, that you're installing with an operator or a Helm chart, there's usually descriptions in the Helm chart that asks for certain persistence. Um, criteria. So that's kind of how you learn how the uh, uh, application inside actually accessing storage, so to speak. But from, from an, uh, yeah, you got a question uh, there, real, Jason? Real, yeah, real quick. Uh, you mentioned how node, like you might have to move uh, your, your volumes from node to node if you're moving your workloads. I was just curious, like I, I've been out of the storage game since 2004. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I would say, However, storage is done in in the modern ways. I'm I'm real shady on the details, but when you're yeah. when you're mounting to your storage, and and you do know that your your nodes are going to move around, um, is it possible to to mount your your volumes on all the nodes so that as the workloads move, you don't have to worry about that? Or is that are there some technical challenges to to doing that? Almost kind of uh, like a yes. load balanced environment where, you know, your your volumes are available on every node and regardless of where you go, they just attach to it and you're good to go. Yeah, absolutely. There, that's definitely, there, there's different types of backend storage systems. So they, the, the access mode that you kind of mentioned now is the read, write many, right? So you could uh, run something, uh, you can run, if you run Ceph on Kubernetes, for instance, right? That is a distributed file system. Uh, and that will be able to access the file system from anywhere in the cluster, right? So you, so there's there is an attach and a detach kind of phase, but the data is always available on the node, right? It's, it's just if a pod kind of gets scheduled on that node, it just mounts it, right? And it's yeah. a very quick process. You don't have to uh, uh, like in, because the appliances that I work with, they're, they're SAN based, right? And to be able to have a SAN volume presented to multiple nodes at one time, that means that you need to have a clustered file system that coordinates the locks and and stuff like that, right? And it gets really complicated really quickly. But in most cases, like Kubernetes was kind of built to run shared nothing distributed applications, right? Yeah. And normally, like if you say that you're running a, a, a Postgres or an etcd database or a Reddit store or something like that, you usually have data replicated to multiple nodes at the same time. And when you have that data replicated to multiple nodes, it's just like one node can go down and its storage can go down. It doesn't really matter, right? It will yeah. still... Uh, the application will still be available, right? And those are some of the core principles of designing applications to run on Kubernetes. But we deal with a lot, a lot of legacy applications that require like SAN type storage and where you just run a single replica of the application within Kubernetes. And that needs to kind of uh, be orchestrated very carefully on how it gets rescheduled uh, on, on Kubernetes. So, so there is a little detail uh, within within your persistent storage system that is called a volume attachment and it's basically an uh, a, an api resource in, um, in in kubernetes and that volume attachment basically keep tracks of where the the volume is mounted and if it's a read write once volume you won't be able to attach that to another node until that volume attachment has been released right so that kind of prevents that is like the soft version of a split brain kind of protection mechanism so to speak right and 
storage vendors such as ourselves, we've implemented our own kind of split brain protection thing for to prevent uh, multiple nodes. Because I mean, an, 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 a node can be partitioned, right, in a network outage or whatnot, and lose all track of everything, right. But we we have uh, as long as we can com communicate with a storage device, uh, we have means of uh, severing all the connections to those particular volumes. And uh, writes that are in flight will obviously be complicated to uh, recover, but uh, we haven't had any data outage so far. So, well, I guess that's one of those things that you learn with time, right? Is uh, you know how much control do I put into the Kubernetes, and how much control do I offload and abstract to let the you know the storage vendors do what they do best, right? Yeah, absolutely. There, there's definitely definitely a balance there, and, and we have our own kind of constructs to kind of deal with it because we don't want customers to run into trouble, right? So. Uh, and but there are uh, multiple improvements uh, coming uh, in the CSI specification to uh, to prevent these uh, disasters from happening as well. So there's there's, there's a lot of work uh, uh, going into this because people care about their data at the end of the day, right? <laughs> that's uh, that's how simple it is. Yeah. So the CSI <laughs> driver, I'm, I'm getting you know once that came into play, that probably kind of uh, took the handcuffs off of the Kubernetes project as far as like waiting for other vendors to develop. Uh, integrations, every release and certify everything, all the uh, onus got pushed back out uh, instead. Yes. Yeah. So th there's still a migration process actually happening from the entry drivers to be uh, um, to be rewritten as CSI drivers because all the entry drivers, uh, they, they, are be they are being deprecated essentially. So they don't want any storage drivers. There might, there might be the, the odd one like the empty door and host path and whatnot, but uh, any vendor-specific or cloud-specific driver is, is going out, right? So it is, they are being developed independently and managed independently. So, and that's a, that's a huge benefit for uh, for, for both for end users and uh, the core Kubernetes project and the vendors. And um, you know, I, I'll have one more question here. I think we've got mm -hmm. to actually park this for a part two. Uh, this will okay. be an interesting conversation, and and uh, I think we could go. Uh, uh, go on for a while on this and, and bring more knowledge to all of the listeners. Um, but maybe one of my, my last questions here would be, you know, when it comes to storage vendors and you've talked about, okay, we've ab abstracted some of this. So now some of the uh, functionality and, and the drivers is pushed back to the vendors. What makes the vendors different than, you know, when you're picking from vendor A to vendor B and you're trying to figure out, okay, everybody's compatible at this point. They have a CSI mm -hmm. driver that makes things work. You know, what am I going to have to look for to figure out which storage vendor I actually need? Yeah. So, so I mean, I, I always look at like how well is the platform abstracted into Kubernetes, right? Because the, you have this construct in, uh, in Kubernetes that is very basic, right? So you have a storage class, which works like a cookie cutter template. And then the users create persistent volume claims and they refer to the actual physical volume on the backend storage system. And the storage class, which is the cookie cutter template, is just how much can the Kubernetes administrator customize in that storage class to provision storage to their users that cater to the actual needs, right? So in the storage class, that's where you would uh, define if you want to have a dedupe turned on or turned off. Uh, if you want to set uh, like uh, QoS policies uh, and such, that will all come from the storage class, right? And and if you look at, if you do your laundry list of features that the array has, and it's just like, can does that match what you can put in the storage class? Can I use all these advanced features that the array actually provides in, in, in the Kubernetes cluster? 
And, and is there a way for me as a user to actually uh, uh, change those values during runtime or, or, or change them like during provisioning? And th there's a lot of like dynamic things that you can do in Kubernetes, right? And, and that's kind of where you need to look at like how well, how well does this actually work in Kubernetes? Okay, you have a CSI driver. What, what will it allow me to do? Just provision a dumb volume and attach it? Is that it? Is that what I paid? $2 million for on this, this <laughs> enterprise storage array, right? So, so that is kind of what I would look for. And, and that would be go the same for some of the open source projects out there as well. It's just like, how well can you um, uh, abstract all these uh, constructs that are available on the array? And we haven't even touched on, I went through half of my list of topics we could talk about, right? And that is the data management aspect of it. It's just, can you use uh, volume snapshot classes uh, on Kubernetes with the CSI driver? Will you be able to create clones from the data instantly and such, right? Can you import data from the backend array to a different cluster without uh, without disruption and such, right? So there's, there's a ton of little small features that add a lot of value for, for the use cases uh, that uh, you're kind of tailoring towards, right? You, you're running out, say that you run a database in production and you want the developers to have a copy of that database on a daily basis. Would you do a full backup and copy that somewhere, or would you simply just create a snapshot and clone it, and uh, and let the developers work on that uh, clone? And there's also an interesting aspect of it where you can uh, replicate the data from the primary system to a downstream array, and take the uh, snapshot and clones on the downstream array and completely offload production. Right? That is also a very popular pattern that we've uh, discovered with our customers is that their their pristine production environment is just like we don't let any developers near that. They can have a copy that is replicated a few few hours ago. That's fine, right? And that is sort of when, when you're really nimble and agile with your data. And, and today's in today's modernizations project, it's just like the data is the, the new oil, right? That sounds like a bit of a cliche, but I mean, they want to be able to make it available to as many people as possible. And that comes with a cost, both from a security standpoint and data governance and then you have the capacity of it and, and how many copies do you need and such, right? So there's there's, there's a lot of uh, different angles to it. Yeah, that, that'll be interesting to talk to in, in that uh, I think many folks would probably, you know, although a lot of our uh, audience is NetOp folks, probably a lot of folks that are just general systems administrators as well, who are coming from a VMware or that type of hypervisor uh, background who are used to having some of the features that you talked about in the in the VMware sense and yeah. uh, maybe kind of converting that knowledge into how does this actually work now with containers? That'll be a, that'll be a cool discussion. So I would love to, uh, I'm putting you on the spot here, but I'd love to um, book a time. We'll do a, a part two of this and and go over all that stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, when, when we're done with that, it's probably going to be a part three because there, there is like, this is like a can of worms, right? There's always new mm -hmm. topics to, to talk about and go deep into use cases and talk about all the different features. But I'm, I'm available to you anytime. This is fun. That'll be cool. <laughs> That's Great. Awesome. I, I would love to talk about data design too, because like, mm. like I said, uh, monolithic architectures, 2004 and, you know, standard replication streams and, and all that, that's, that, that's where I left storage. And, and I know that there's probably been uh, tremendous you, leaps forward in, in capability uh, since yeah, then. Absolutely. You'd be surprised how much of that is still around though. That, I'm telling yeah. you. <laughs> yeah. That's well, it's, Very hard. Cool. it's hard. It's hard to make that shift in paradigm, right? Uh, from yeah. this is how I've always done it. Even though I have this new technology, I'm going to kind of, you know, try to put that square peg in the round hole and and uh, and force it in. So 
Awesome. Um, so Michael, just for folks who are listening right now and watching right now, I know your Twitter handle is actually below your name. So for folks who are watching right now can see that, but maybe uh, yeah. for the listeners, you can just go over uh, where people might find you. We do have a show thread on community.f5.com, but for folks who might not visit that, uh, where can they find you? What kind of resources uh, do you have kind of freely out there? Yeah, so I, yeah, I'm mainly on Twitter, on LinkedIn. You can find me, uh, Michael Matson, just as my name is spelled there. Uh, you will also be able to find me on the HP Developer Slack channel. It's a public Slack. Uh, if you go, just go to developer.hp.com, you will find it there somewhere on on how to sign up and log in and such. And um, I'm always available for questions and uh, explaining things uh, that uh, kind of seem out of place uh, in the. In the, in the storage world in Kubernetes, so to speak. Uh, I'm also on uh, the CNCF Slack and such as well. So uh, same name and such. Nice. So, uh, M- Michael, you're a wealth of information when it comes to Kubernetes storage. So this is awesome. Uh, great to have you on. And you. we look forward to uh, booking a part two with you. Thank you for having me. Appreciate the conversation. I'll bring you backstage here. Um, Jason, that was a good time, hey? Awesome. Yeah. I, l- I look forward to digging into that more because it's like I, I had a storage world way back in the day when I worked for the DOD uh, here in the United States. And, you know, we had some enclaves all around the world and we had to replicate storage in between them all because we randomized where everybody went uh, on the front end. And so the the back end had to be uh, ready to serve those workloads within five minutes. And so, you know, replicating data and where rights are going. And, you know, of course, you could read anywhere and, and all that stuff. So. I, I do have a little bit of experience and exposure, but it's it's been a long time. So I'm curious where the yeah. industry's gone on that front. That'll be great to have uh, Michael catch us both up uh, on that kind of stuff. Yeah. So that'll be cool. Um, so as we close here, I just want to remind folks, if you're watching us right now live, you might be watching us from LinkedIn, YouTube, Facebook, or Twitter. Please hit subscribe, follow whatever it is on that platform. Hit like. Uh, leave a comment as well. If you're watching this afterwards, feel free to leave comments on these things. You can even ask questions. And if you haven't connected with Michael directly, we can get them over to Michael or show Michael what the questions are. Um, and if you're listening to this right now, you may have found us on Apple, Google or Spotify podcasts. So make sure you're hitting subscribe or follow on that. Leave us a five star review if you can. That helps us out greatly. Um, and uh, all the notes that we might have for this are going to be found on community.f5.com. Within the groups, you'll find a Dev Central Connects group, and there will be a show thread that has all the information uh, to be found on there. So otherwise, on behalf of myself and for Jason, this has been Dev Central Connects. with y'all. Bye for now.